Welcome to Season 4 of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Farina, a veterinarian, a writer. I've worked in the animal healthcare industry, and prior to that, I was an MTV journalist and a radio personality. So yes, my career has taken me in lots of different directions. In each episode of Scrub Chat, I sit down and chat with a veterinarian or technician so they can share their own directions and journeys, what's worked, what hasn't, and how they've made it all fit. Thank you for joining me as we explore veterinary medicine combined with all the other aspects of our lives. You know, Zoetis deserves a shout out because Zoetis has generously created these podcasts to help support this incredible profession. Today, Dr. Joe DeBraccio sits down and chats with us. Joe is the owner of Catskill Veterinary Services, and I really look forward to hearing your life story because it's not a straight path. I mean, really, there were a few detours in there. So I really appreciate you joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate having me on the the Scrub Chat very much so. Well, congratulations on owning a successful veterinary practice in Rock Hill, New York. I also understand you are working on board certification with the American Board of Veterinary Practitioners in the canine and feline species and certification by the International Veterinary Academy of Pain Management. So how are you doing? Are you close? I am close. I'm close for the ABVP certification. Um, I uh, hoped to work on my case reports this year, but due to COVID, I haven't really had a chance to sit down and, and finish all that. Um, but it's definitely uh, something I hope to finish up this year and take boards next year. Um or hopefully get the papers put in for uh, the deadline this this uh, end of 2020. So I'm looking forward to it. It's something I've wanted to do um, since vet school. So something I'm working for. And what about the pain management? Pain management, also working on that. Uh, but AVB, ABVP is definitely the primary, uh, primary seat right now. Mm-hmm. And then I'll work on pain management next. Got it. Excellent. Well, I want to talk about your road to obtaining your doctor of veterinary medicine degree because it definitely was not linear. In fact, you were a veterinary technician first. So tell us more about your decision to become a veterinary technician. Yeah. So I became uh, a vet tech uh, in New York state. Initially, um, I was on the, fa- the the track to become a veterinarian. I always wanted to be a veterinarian since I was very young. Definitely the cliche comment most vets say is, yes, I always wanted to do it. And I did um, from a very young age, probably two, three years of age. Um, and I know that because even I have a nephew now, same age, and he wants to be a veterinarian too. So I find it very interesting um, coming full circle. But I always wanted to be one. I started working in veterinary practices since I was 14 um, and really kind of was brought under the wing by a local veterinarian and kept going from there. And then when I started to look at colleges, when I probably was in middle school and where I wanted to go to college, um, I kind of started getting a little bit swayed different directions. And people were like, well, why don't-? then I was introduced to what vet techs were and what a vet tech could do and how it would be a great, even a segue into becoming a veterinarian. Um, And as college got closer, that's what I decided to do. I figured um, based on some of my veterinarians I worked with, they said it's a great idea. Some of them had done it to kind of jump into the profession, kind of put your toe in and see how things worked out, if it worked for you, and would give you kind of a, a springboard to move forward if you wanted to become a veterinarian. Um, and continue and give you an opportunity to work during school and do more than some of your classmates. And so that's kind of what I did. Um, and so that's what brought me up to where I went for undergrad at SUNY Delhi um, and became a vet tech there. So yeah. were there points, though, that 
So you were a veterinary technician. And then was there a moment in your life where it was like, well, this isn't quite what I wanted and then switch career goals? Like, like, were you happy as a veterinary technician or, or was this like, no, this is simply a means to the next step? It was a means to the next step for me. So um, I loved being a veterinary technician. I really enjoyed it, um, but it was not going to be my um, forever home. In, in, a, in a profession, I definitely wanted to keep moving forward. Uh, I used it again, really as a springboard to move forward to be a veterinarian. I it gave me great appreciation for what veterinary technicians do, even to, to today. Um, I think that they're across the profession, extremely underutilized across the country. Um, I think it's a very, very big problem, and perhaps what plagues us in having the veterinary shortage and veterinary technician shortage is that they're not valued enough. Um, and so I think it's a wonderful profession to do, to be in and be a part of and to team up with as a veterinarian. Um, so it gave me the, the, the perspective to appreciate them and to see what they can do. Like they, there's so much a vet tech can do and, and move forward for the profession. I think it's a, it's a great career for anyone. Um, I just like doing surgery and things. And that's why, that's why I really want to be a veterinarian and I like to you know more that veterinarians can do. So, um, yeah, I think that kind of hopefully sums up what I was what I was looking for to trying to say. Yeah, no, absolutely. And what gave you the fuel to apply to veterinary school? Because it's not easy, and and I'm curious about what came from yourself. Did you have support from your family and friends? Yeah, so I I took a little bit of a weird path. So, you know, going to vet tech school, um, I did that and I would work in vet clinics on weekends and I'm an emergency background doctor. Like that's my passion is emergency medicine. I am in general practice now, but I do a lot of emergency and somewhat critical care um, in a rural community setting because that's what we have available to me. Um, And so I got bit by the emergency bug a long time ago and I liked it ever since. And, you know, the adrenaline junkie, whatever you want to call us, um, I thrive on that. Um, Although as I've gotten older, I definitely need more sleep. The sleepless nights is not what I I don't, I don't like doing that anymore, but being on call for large animal medicine is something I have to deal with and I will be up sometimes late at night or all night. Yeah, I I, I get extreme support from my family. Um, They knew I always wanted to be a veterinarian. And so after finishing from Delhi, I worked for a short bit um, and continued through my college studies. And then I got into vet school earlier because my all, my path was different. I went to a Caribbean vet school. So the vet school I went to is St. Matthew's University in the Cayman Islands. So a little bit different than some of the other Caribbean schools. Um, it's not accredited by the AVMA, but and, and has a much different kind of style in terms of also very, very small class structures. So um, my, my family was extremely supportive of me going to that school and really diving into the profession. And that school was great because in vet tech school, you're very hands-on from the very, very early part. You're learning right away. They dump you right into kind of clinical stuff and, and labs where some of the vet schools, they're changing their programs. They're doing it more clinical sooner. But as you may know, like a lot of it's coursework, books. You're literally drowning in books and, and PowerPoints and studies. We're like, you know, we all become veterinarians or technicians to like touch and be with animals and help animals. And so the program I went to, we dived right in very soon and we only had classes of like 20 some odd people. So it was great to really just submerge yourself in, in animal care and then learning side by side with professors and, and taking care of animals at the same time and, and really having a didactic and hands-on approach, which I thrive in. That's what I need and that's what I want. So um, it all worked out how I didn't go the, the, the traditional path of going to one of the larger well-known vet schools in the United States or Canada or Europe. I went to a much smaller, not as well-known Caribbean school. And then you did your clinical training. Your last year was at North Carolina, 
State yep. University, right? So, and I, and was that hard as a foreign, you know, coming from St. Matthews to to do it? For me, I would say no. So, so for some people, they 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 get full of angst just knowing they're coming back and going to be an outsider. I didn't have that at all. Um, and then I was welcomed at NC State with full support from them. I wasn't treated differently or at all. And so that even helped me really kick into higher gear and use my fourth year as a really a, a great opportunity to learn as much as possible, see as many cases as I could, um, and work in different settings with different groups of people um, coming from a Caribbean school. Like Even when I was there, I was employed um, for some shifts as an emergency technician. So because I was a vet tech, they were short and I my rotations were a little bit more quieter than those ones I worked in the ER. So I got even more experience and time and started to work with them in a different light than just the vet student. I was also a vet tech and I was able to do more. And the vet techs would, res- I think, respected me or appreciated me more because I knew their jobs and I could do what they did. And so they would let me do even more. So I, I think it really helped my my abilities to kind of excel and really dive in and really use my fourth year as a, um extremely hands-on approach because I was one of them. So I... I, I was treated differently. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing to say, but it's the tr- it was the truth, and I and I thrived on it. It was wonderful. I kind of feel like in the conversation we're having right now, every veterinarian should be a veterinary technician first. I think that's a great approach. I some people would probably hate me for saying that, but I think it's a really great approach for you to gain the appreciation and patient care. And, and the client interaction, really the, the hard work technicians do. I mean, I, I, I employ six full-time New York State LVTs at my practice, and I could use more of them. I make, they are really hand-in-hand with me. But I do notice some of the newer vet students who come through an externship don't really have a lot of the clinical and hands-on skills. The venipuncture skills, catheter skills, the client communication skills, patient care, or even like patient identification, like that looks painful. My nurses can pick that up a lot sooner than some of these um, new newer veterinarians, younger veterinarians. And so I think that really would help enhance their education and abilities. And again, have a more stronger respect and bond between the two. You know, veterinary technician, I call them veterinary nurses. I know that's a taboo thing, but they do more than technician. They're not like, they don't manage equipment. Well, many of our listeners are veterinary students. So they're already, some are already in veterinary school and didn't, you know, weren't veterinary technicians first. What advice would you give to veterinary students having your background to to better, you know, to practice better medicine? Yeah. So I would say some things would be one is you need to befriend and respect the technicians you work with because they will have your back at every step of the way. They are on your side, on your team in terms of patient care. They want, and I don't care what kind of patient you're treating, whether you're treating a dog and cat traditional medicine or you're a horse veterinarian, or you're treating toucans, or zoo zoo medicine. It doesn't matter the species, because they're just as interested, if not more sometimes, in the patient's care, patient survival, and patient's outcome. And so empowering them, respecting them, and listening to them, I think is absolutely critical. And I've worked with some technicians who've been, I would say veterans, they've been doing technician medicine for 25, 30 years. Because, you know, most of them, they come out, they're anywhere from 18 to 21 years old from school. And they have a lot longer period where most average veterinarians are 25 to 28 or 30. So they have already 10 years experience on us, sometimes coming out of vet school. You know, they've already been in the trenches. They've seen that case. They've seen 5, 10, 15, 20 HGs. They know how to diagnose 
a GDV. They've seen pulmonary Mets in the chest. You know, they could probably call a horse lameness from across the parking lot when you're still trying to fumble, get your hoof testers out. So I think, you know, that's, they have that ability and that time and that edge. So I think that's where, you know, empower them, work with them, learn from them, respect from them and engage them because the more you keep them interested, because you do, we do know sometimes more than them, the intricate in, intricacies of it. And they want that. But, you know, if you don't respect them, they're not going to respect you and not going to want to learn from you. So I think there's a really strong symbiotic relationship between the two. And we can really excel and learn from each other. Like my, my, my team, they love when we do new things or come back from a conference. I'm like, hey, this is how you do a, you know, uh, an epidural. Like, I'm going to show you guys how to do it. We're going to do this. And then you can do nerve blocks and you're going to do a, you know, a soger catheter. And we're, you, I, I'm sure you guys have to put a feeding tube in. I want you guys to be able to do it. Or managing wounds and managing drains. That's all um, something they really get, they thrive on, they get excited about. That's terrific. Yeah. You seem so confident, Joe. What makes you feel so good? <laughs> That's an interesting thing. I, I just love, I love veterinary medicine. Like I, I can talk about it all day. Even if I have a long day, like I got a really long week. It just gets me excited on trying new things, doing different things, seeing patients. Like I just, I love it. I do it probably too much. I work probably too much, but it does not really work. It's, it's fun. The thing that I hate the most about it would be the stress of dealing with different personalities, unappreciative people, unappreciative clients. You know, that was what most of my week was. People like just upset and stressed out. And I know everyone's stressed with COVID. I get there. We're there too. I'm stressed and exhausted, but like, just be nice about it, you know? But um, veterinary medicine energizes me every day. I love doing it. I love learning more. It's, it's just it's so much fun. And like this week, I made a post on social media about like all the different species I saw. So I had a calf in my hospital this week. I had a goat. I had a toucan with a broken leg. I had dogs. I had cats. You know, like all these different cool critters. Um, wildlife came in last week. A couple weeks ago, I saw bears. I mean, like it just, it really diversifies it. And like, who can say they do that? No offense. The, you know, MDs, they just do people. Like we got to do crazy stuff that like lives in other countries, you know, and like people like only dream about touching a Kodiak bear. I get to hang out with them all the time, you know, or seeing a toucan this week with a broken leg. Like who can say that? That's what's so cool about the profession. And and we get to do more than just one thing. I'm not just doing like, you know, vaccines, doing orthopedic surgery. We're doing aspirates. We're doing cytology, biopsies. I diagnosed cancer this week. You know, I'm dealing with hospice and anesthesia. I mean, like, your head can spin, certainly, but it's like so much fun. Yeah. And that's why I got happy in general practice. I love emergency medicine, but just dealing with ER all day, ER all day is cool and, and great, but it kind of gets boring. And like, I like multiple species. I can deal with horses and, and cows and sheep and goats and dogs and cats and wildlife and exotics and just keep it, I don't know, I, keep, I call it, keep it spicy. I like keeping my life spicy. I love that. And I want to talk to you about practice ownership. What's that been like? Practice ownership's been interesting. So I've owned my practice. I started out of my Jeep um, in 2012. Um, I got into practice for a little bit and um, I didn't jive with the kind of practice setting um, that I was in. I started doing ER and uh, I loved it. I worked full-time ER rotational basis um, in small ERs and then some larger, you know, six doctor or bigger specialty practice ERs. I loved it. But then I started having, I come from a small town. Um, small county and people were like, Hey, you know, I want you to take care of my dog or, you know, I, can you do a second opinion? I, I, I my dog might have cancer or what, or this or that, or now I have a horse. Can you see this horses? Like there's no other vet that will see the horses anymore. And so that's when I started doing house calls because I didn't want the risk of opening an office and I was still doing emergency and I just couldn't do it all. Well, I tried to do it all. <laughs> and, um, 
I started out of my car and it was just, it was just me. I just was in the truck, like the Jeep all day. And I worked ER at night, did house calls during the day and flopped around. And then it just started to grow. I hired my brother out of high school. He was my full-time assistant for the past eight years, eight and change. And then we just kind of grew and grew and we would do house calls till 10 o'clock at night because we did emergencies too. And they would, you know, you pick up the phone, you get Dr. Joe on the phone and he would help you however he could. And then it just got bigger and bigger. And then I hired an associate and then I ended up um, taking on a partner in 2000 and 2017, 2018. And now we have a small, it's too small, mixed animal practice um, located in Rock Hill, New York. And um, we have up to 32 staff members with, we will have five full-time doctors and two part-time doctors. Um, and that's still not enough. So switching gears, I love medicine. I love surgery. I absolutely love surgery. Um, I don't care what species it's on. And, but then also I have to do the business aspect and managing all these people, um, all different personalities. And um, I can't see every patient anymore like I used to, or can't, you just can't, it's not possible. So then dealing with some of the things that like people may not be happy about and, you know, communication errors and, and how do you handle that with keeping the clients, the customers happy? Cause this is a service industry. You know, I, I hate when people like people will say, Oh yeah, you became a veterinarian because you hate people. Actually I deal with more people than probably most want to deal with people. Um, cause every harness, every halter, every leash, every carrier, everything, every wild animal even comes in with an owner or a good Samaritan who cares so much about it, even though they only picked this bird up five minutes ago, but they love it so much, you know, and they, they care about it and you better fix it. So you have to, really adapt. Um, sometimes that's, that's way more exhausting than the, the medicine, the surgery, but, um, yeah, the, the business aspect has taken a different approach and how to handle things. Certainly hard at times. I think it's the most exhausting and, and you have to constantly adapt. You must pivot every moment of the day where I think sometimes medicine and surgery is a lot easier. You have to pivot there too, but not with so many personalities and on a, a little drop of a dime. So. You keep mentioning the word exhausted, and I want to go back to when you were talking about the Jeep, how you were seeing house calls and then doing emergency at night. When did you sleep? Yeah, that <laughs> that's a good point. So, you know, the, the Dr. Joe from eight years ago is definitely different than Dr. Joe in 2020. <laughs> um, you know, I survived on three, four hours of sleep or sometimes wouldn't sleep for days. That is not healthy. I don't encourage that. But I think it got me to the point I am today. It's not, I don't recommend it. I don't endorse that. <laughs> I think that's where I got the extra confidence from, the personality adaptions and stuff like that. But it's not the best way of life. You know, it was great. I, it was a fun ride. It's still a fun ride. I'm not done. But I um, definitely think about it differently now. Yeah, I, I definitely, now I, I'm different. I don't do as much uh, of those crazy hours because it's just not long-term self-sustaining. You know, I work with a couple other organizations that really work on work-life balance. And it's interesting, in the past three months, um, I've really changed years on work-life balance. Veterinary medicine will always be there, but I have to, you know, the self-care is really important. And I think our profession's really switching to that. You know, that was probably about five years ago, six years ago, maybe eight years ago, really the trend of, you know, work-life balance, which I, some people call it work-life integration, which I like that better because yeah. it's not really always a balance. It's how they integrate together right. and how it can change any moment, you know, because the balance, something's going to fall off. I'd rather just integrate it so it fits better versus something falling off, off the scales. I would say the past couple of months, I have focused more on self-care and uh, self-preservation at times so I can continue running this marathon versus falling on my face. Uh, there were certainly periods where, you know, I have, my career has been great. 
I've burned out. I have burnout. I suffer from burnout. I think all of us do at some point, whether we ended up burning out, changing a job, changing a career or moving, like we all hit that burnout. Fortunately for me, there was never a point that I would say, I hate my profession because there's some that do. And then they waited too long. They've gone too far. For me, I just would say like, you know, I don't want to see any more cases today. And that's when like something is wrong. And I wasn't always as excited. So, you know, since about three months ago now, I really focused on taking some time off, relaxing, recharging. Um, and I noticed I perform much better when I get back. Of course, you know, it's hard to take the medicine. You're like, no, I, I, I'll keep doing it. I'll keep doing it. I don't want time off. Um, or that's not me. I can still charge through it, but it's gotten different. I notice it and appreciate it more now. So, you know, I think it's important to build a career. I think it's important to get as much experience as possible. I think that sometimes now the work-life balance goes the other way where it's sometimes too much life, not enough work, if that's even possible. Some people don't want to put the extra time in. I do feel that we have to kind of pay your dues. You put your time in, you get the experience and you move forward. I think there's a little bit of an issue in my opinion with some of the newer generations of veterinarians not focused on seeing the extra case. That extra case may be career changing for you or will make you have so much more knowledge, confidence and experience just sink your teeth into it. Don't go overboard like I did. I'm not saying that, but don't say, yep, we stop at five o'clock because we close at six and I'm not seeing that poor sick animal. We became veterinarians for a reason. This is not a nine to five banking job. You know, that's not the way it is. If you think so, I think you may have chosen the wrong one or you perhaps should not be in clinical practice because, you know, in my clients, a lot of them will respect me. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry, Dr. Joe, you're coming out on, on Christmas. And I had one this year. I had a colic on Christmas. I said, he doesn't know it's Christmas. It's not his fault. He doesn't know it's only, you know, 15 degrees out in, 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 in New York state. I'm here. This is what I chose, you know, and I'm going to be happy doing it sometimes. Yeah. Does it suck? Of course it does, but we do the best we can and, and look on the positive side. And I'm here to either make this animal whole or relieve its suffering. That's what I'm here for, you know, and then help embrace the owner, whichever way we got to go for the veterinary students out there. It's like, you know, just try and sink your teeth into it a little bit more. Don't go overboard, but take those opportunities, jump into them and sometimes be put out of your comfort zone. There's nothing wrong with being pushed outside your comfort zone. You may not like it. Like, I don't like doing the stuff I have to do now, but it's better for me. Take your medicine and get better. I'm wondering what's the sweet spot between burning out and um, paying your dues? Where do you think that is? I think I'm always striving for that. I don't think I found it yet, but I think a lot of it has to do with communication. And, you know, I, I was one of those students that was in my, in my vet school, we had to communication class. I thought it was the stupidest class in the world. I was like, why are we doing this? Who cares? But it's important. Now that's all I talk about. And even when I, I took, I have a partner and I took on a partner, I was like, you know, she's like, we have to communicate. I'm like, I, I was definitely resistant of the communication. And, but now I don't shut up about communication. I'm like, how'd that make you feel? How could we make this better? <laughs> you know, I'm sorry I did what I did and, and that's not what I meant. And, and we're trying to work through it. I think, you know, for the for the newer veterinarians out there or current veterinarians, and, and I think we also focus, and I'm probably just guilty of doing it right now, I'm focusing on always the new ones. Everyone else coming out. Just because you've been practicing for 10 years doesn't mean you shouldn't change. And that's the other flip side of it. So like I've been almost out for 10 years and I had to change. Sometimes my bar was a little too high for some of my newer associates. I get it. And I now self-reflected and communicated about it and I'm doing better. So I think, you know, even someone who's been a veteran, a veteran veterinarian for 15 or 20 years, you can still change. You can make it a little bit better. Don't be so grumpy. 
you know, and then try it and, and re-embrace, find your love again for the profession. Um, and I think that would help some of the newer veterinarians out there to see the passion come back in the senior vets. Cause I've seen, been in places where there's veterinarians for 30 years and they're like, they don't get excited about cases anymore. They don't want to see anything after five o'clock. They're done. They soon ascend it to the emergency room and let the emergency room vets drown because they're all having a hard time right now. There's a shortage of emergency vets because no one wants to do that. You know, for, for the younger, newer grads out there, I would say is, you know, be willing to take it on and communicate to your to your um, senior veterinarians, right? And I, and I tell my staff this, no one's going to complain or bite your head off saying you communicated too much. If they do, they have self-issues. It's not your problem. It is theirs. Communicate like, hey, you know, senior veterinarian, I, I need some help here. I really, I, this is what I'm thinking is going on. And, you know, what are your thoughts? And how about this? Or, you know, can you help me with this? If they do that, then you're probably in the wrong, wrong spot. Find a better spot. Don't be afraid to jump and find a better one. They're out there, you know, and, and I encourage you to keep looking for them because they're out there. Don't settle for a poor one. Find that balance of put yourself in, don't, don't be afraid to put yourself outside your comfort zone because nothing is perfect. We want to take everything that comes with you in stride. Is there a right time to buy a practice as we're talking about either um, early career veterinarians or, you know, even mid-career veterinarians? In your opinion, did you buy at the right time or, you know, or, or start your business at the right time? When is it? Yeah, I think that really depends on the individual. So for me, I started mine at the right time. I was 23 when I became a veterinarian. I think that it that for me, it was the right time. I think it really depends on where you are in your life. I tell people I was married to my career and my profession then. We still have a good marriage, my profession. We still have a marriage, but we're, we're working things through. We're communicating. We're in, you know, we're, we're trying to go in upper gears. I think it, it really depends on what's going to fulfill you. You know, I am one is that I like to be my own boss. I like to do what I want, when I want, and how I want it. Um, so that would be hard working for someone else. But I was, I did try to be the best employee when I was an employee. You know, I, I, I had the business mind. So I worked for the house. I knew what things cost. I knew how to make money. I knew how business had to run. So I think I was, a, I hope I was a good employee, but I would encourage veterinarians to become their own bosses or there's nothing wrong with becoming a partner. That's a whole nother discussion. But I think that, you know, I'd encourage people to buy practices. I really, really do. Or start your own and, and run them well and do the best you can. Like, you know, if you think you can do it so much better, then do it. You may not make it. That's fine too. You tried. I, I think I really support veterinary owned practices. Not to get another discussion of corporate versus not corporate, but I like that. I, I think veterinarians can run businesses and should run businesses. There are some who feel like, well, I didn't go to business school and I, I, I shouldn't be doing this. It all goes with communication. Everyone has a business mind. Um, it goes with communication and running a budget. If you can add and subtract, you can run a business and run a budget. Be, take good care of people and you will do well. Be honest and, and and truthful and and you will have a good practice. doesn't mean you have to do it alone. You can do it with five people and share the burden if you're not all up for yourself. Um, but I definitely would encourage veterinarians to, to uh, buy practices or develop them because the rewards are great. You get to do what you want. You know, if you want to do a certain procedure or have a certain piece of equipment and you can justify it, then buy it. Do it. Make your niche. And I think you will be rewarded handsomely financially. Um, and we'll have that financial freedom to pay back your loans and do things you want and 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 have that work-life integration if you so choose. Speaking of work-life integration or harmony or what we'd like to call it, you're also involved in numerous state veterinary organizations and societies. 
why? I mean, Joe, you're already really busy. And also, I will just add in, you're not just members of these organizations. You're president, like president of Pets Alive and the Hudson Valley Veterinary Medical Society. So it's like you're not just sitting on the bench. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> uh, I think that goes with my doer personality. I'm a doer. I like to be involved and and help represent the profession. So yeah, so I'm I'm involved with the No Kill Animal Shelter in Middletown, New York. I I love that organization. I've been involved with that one for I've been on their board for seven years. I've been involved with that organization for probably about fifteen years. That one I, I care for animals. That's great. And I've gotten fortunate enough to be as be a veterinarian. I can save a lot more lives because people have financial limitations or they don't want the animal anymore. And I have a place for them to go. So I can shift them to a shelter, which is great. And I'm in other organizations like the New York State Vet Medical Society. I'm also part of the VIN Foundation as well. I'm a very active member of the VIN Foundation, which does a lot of support programs for veterinarians um, for work-life integration and support for uh, technicians and support personnel. Because a lot of times they're forgotten. They battle the same demons we do and the struggles. And the VIN Foundation is, is, is excellent. Um, to help out with that, I would certainly recommend anyone reaching out to the VIN Foundation for for help. At, even vet students, we have tons of programs. I, I, we could probably talk for hours on what we do. And the New York State Vet Med Society, because you know I like to be positive, forward thinking, make some change. Well, you can't do that on the bench, and I'm not one to just kind of you know, be honest, bitch and moan in the corner about why I'm not happy. I want to be the one that makes the change and acts the change, listens to other ones who want change. They may not have the time to do it. I choose to make the time for it. So I'm willing to listen and then represent those who don't have a voice or who can't have a voice in the moment because they're too busy. And I, I think that's great. And I like to meet other veterinarians, like all these things and other people who love animals. That's what's the networking is a phenomenal. The people I've met through the New York State Vet Society, the things I've learned about um, even, you know, government relations and advocacy and, and changing bills and how that works. I'm very much involved with that. That it's it's mind blowing, sometimes head spinning. But again, like I could help really on the forefront of human animal bond and animal welfare and human welfare by being involved with that. I could be sitting in my office and seeing patients doing surgery, which I'm helping there, but I can help on a much larger scale and larger level, which is amazingly self-fulfilling for me. And and I learn a lot. Like, you know, it's more I like to be mentally uh, stimulated on learning different things and, and that are not just about veterinary medicine. They all kind of come home to veterinary medicine, but they're not directly veterinary medicine, not treating an actual patient. But it's fun and getting to meet veterinarians who've worked in the profession for 40, 50 years and and what got them into it and how they learned and in technicians too and, and working with the Vet Tech Society in New York State and, and learning all that. It's so much fun and, and, and working together. So yeah, I, I, I have a crazy practice life and I have a crazy professional medical life, veterinary medical life, but it's 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 so much fun. And I encourage folks to get involved, even if it's, you don't have to go on the major scale that I do, right? You can be involved in committees and just reach out and I'm sure they'll grab you up as quick as possible to get you engaged and interested and and the stuff you learn and, and, and develop, it's that's where also my business knowledge came from, those types of things and organizations is really putting myself out there. You're so cool, Joe. <laughs> and, and the thing is, we're FaceTiming right now, so it's so nice to see you. It, like, I can see, obviously, your face and expression. And, you know, just for our listeners to know, Joe glows when he talks. He, You really are happy. I am. I I can talk about this stuff all day, every day, and I practically do. And just, it's a, it's a lot of fun. And I, and I like having fun working and there's times I'm stressful and I'm probably grumpy and cranky, but then conversations like this 
recharge me, reignite me, get me going again. Yeah, it's just it's just fun. And I, there's nothing more fulfilling than I have had a bunch of vet students and new doctors come through and when they get excited about it and we see cool cases and, and animals survive or sometimes they don't. It's just it's it's so much fun. Well, we are just about out of time, and I know you have lots of clinical practice under your belt, obviously, and emergency medicine, uh, you know, lots of experience there. Are there any funny stories that you'd like to share with us before we wrap up? Yeah, you know, the years of emergency med, I've gotten to see different types of people, different types of things. You know, I've seen the the run of the mill things, the dogs eating the underwear. Hopefully, it was the right underwear and the right people's underwear that they've eaten. Um, dogs eating tampons, child toys, crazy things like that. Uh, and you know, even like some interesting people. I've seen interesting people at all hours of the night walking through, and you're like, what are they doing? And so, I've also seen some very upset people. So yeah, I, I nothing in my life stands out more than the typical you know, trencher ER vet. Um, we see it all, all hours of the night, you know, um, holidays and Chris and holidays and all, but yeah, nothing, nothing really majorly stands out other than just, I do what I do and I've seen what I've seen because I love what I do. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, it has been so wonderful to talk to you, Joe. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was a, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed this. Excellent. Scrub Chat is a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. Please remember to visit VetVance at www.vetvance.com and check out Zoetta's Commitment to Veterinarians on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get more information about life issues such as handling student debt, reducing stress, communication skills. Ah, communication skills. I'll say mm-hmm. it. I'm going to say it one more time. <laughs> communication skills and reputation management. VetVance is also available as a mobile app on both Apple and Android devices. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at scrubchat at zoetis.com. We'd love to hear from you. And please don't forget to share and review this podcast so we can produce more in the future. We are grateful to Zoetis for the support. Until next time, I'm Dr. Kim Farina, and this is Scrub Chat.